This episode of Inspiration Point is brought to you by the Quests and Chaos Podcast Network and the generous patrons over on patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we'd like to give a big shout out to Punching Potato, Garlic Bread, Eric, Dragon Workshop, Spike, and Red Dead Coquette. And at our Muse $20 level, we'd like to thank Prostaskias, Leroy, Kate, Jeremy, Jenna, Jacob, Falangor, and Cheryl. Thank you for helping us bring a little inspiration out into the world. And now, on with the show. All right, we are back. And what a night we had uh, last night. Um, oh my God. <laughs> it was uh, the end of an era, as uh, they might say. Yeah, so for those playing along at home, we actually wrapped up Wrath of the Scorned last night. And it was an incredible way to finish the story. There was a lot of people crying in the call. <laughs> yeah, I think by a lot of people, I mean everyone. Um you know, of course, uh, Leroy Pro and I only cried manly tears. Um, <laughs> I cried the most genderless of tears. <laughs> Thanks for that. We wanted well-rounded <laughs> tears on this on this show. It's it, it's important. You have to have balance. So you have the masculine, the feminine, and those who say no, thank you. Yeah, or as you guys say on. Uh, Quest and Chaos, Guys, Gals, and Non-Binary Pals. That That is uh, my opening to shows, and it's something that I get yelled at a lot in the YouTube comments for, and I don't care. Why do you get why, why do you get yelled at for, for that? Oh, because people are like, it's so political. Ooh, identity politics. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm bringing gender politics into this by being deliberately inclusive of everyone who might be watching this show. Hmm, you've just told me that you are not someone I want watching my stuff. Yeah, you know, uh, D&D is uh, pretty gay. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's, it's, it's always been pretty gay. And then those of us who are, uh, who are part of the Alphabet Mafia came in and made it more overtly so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, can you really sit there, pretend to be an elf, and then go, there's not something to this. Right. You know, that that playing with identity and I know it's not exactly the same thing, but like we all like to wear those hats. Right. That's kind of like one of the things we do in role playing. It's just, you know, so why can't we be a little bit more accepting for those that that want to take it a couple steps further and yeah, and assume an identity that's more real to them than what their expectations have been growing up, let's say. Yeah, and TTRPGs are genuinely a really great way for people who are questioning to try something out, to be like, you know, oh, I'm not really actually uh, a girl, but haha, it's fun to play the magical girl every once in a while. And then you slowly realize more and more that your egg is cracking. <laughs> right, that could happen, right? It, and... it has happened. I've seen it happen. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I am, you know, and I, I realize I have a small sample size with the school where I work and all that good stuff. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot more young people that are trying on identity as opposed to having it like predetermined. And, you know, growing up, I don't remember anything like that. 
you know, and I, maybe I would have been different than I am. Maybe not, you know, I think I likes what I likes, but at the same time, like I very much accepted the, the identity with which I was presented. Sure. Right. And even still, I ended up leaving some of that behind. So I think it's only a good thing that we all have this ability. And, you know, as we are becoming more inclusive, you know, maybe it's just correlation, but we also see uh, this hobby getting bigger and more mainstream all the time. No, I think that there's a lot to that because any hobby that gets super gatekeepy gets smaller by necessity because it's the no true Scotsman thing. It's, you know, well, you're not a real comics fan because you can't name X, Y, and Z from all these back issues from the 1970s, or you're not a real star Wars fan because you can't name all of these obscure, uh, extended universe <laughs> books, right. which if anyone tries me on that, don't, uh, I had, I had a, a bookshelf with three shelves on it filled with the extended universe books and read all of them. So, yeah, um, <laughs> and, yeah. It's like, oh, you like metal, huh? You, name me five songs, right? Yeah, um, and and that and that sort of that sort of hobby will always just get smaller because you're pushing out the people who are genuinely interested, and you are their you are their first experience, and it's a bad one. Not you, sorry, the generalized gatekeepy people. Yeah, it's like as soon as you become the in crowd, you now want to prevent others from being in the in crowd because the more exclusive it is, the better it is for you. Right. And, um, and we even see this with like immigration throughout the ages, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's something that we see even today a little bit, but now at this point, maybe we are getting too political, but, uh, <laughs> but let's just say that um, life presents us with a lot of stuff to make plots with. And, uh, Sometimes you just can't, you can't come up with this stuff, <laughs> you know, it just, it writes itself. Truly. Uh, Unfortunately. Uh, well, yeah, that's just sort of the way that things go, right? But you yes. know what? We, we take that sort of struggle and we turn it into good story. And last night we finished a really good story. Yeah, I was, um, I was very satisfied. You know, we, you never go in knowing whether or not the finale is going to, going to be like a strong wrap up but you know it's also the culmination of all that stuff you've been thinking about in your car driving jamming out to music all the shower thoughts that you've had and have been gathering over time you know even j- just every stray thought has come together it's like i know this moment is going to be here somewhere at least i hope it will be and even still you know I really tried to leave it as open-ended as I could, but I basically figured there would be one of two outcomes. And you all chose option B, which I <laughs> thought was wonderful. I thought it was much better than option A. Agreed. Option A ended with scorched earth. Yes, yes. Um, so the 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 final, final boss, like the main boss, I would say, of the storyline has been Tiamat. But like mm-hmm. the final challenge, let's say, and who the story has really kind of been about as far as NPCs go, um, has been Hephaestus. And um, he is the scorned in the title, Wrath of the Scorned, uh, because Aphrodite did him dirty, right? 
I um, did not put that together until you literally just said really? that. Really? Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, yeah, I, I, I know that titles. I know that titles mean things, but I'm not the one who went into literary or film criticism to do like the deep dives on things. I am not good at teasing that kind of thing out. Well, I, you know, I didn't go to school for for any of that either. It's just YouTube videos mostly. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, and growing up with a drama teacher father, I guess that's part of it. Um, no, actually, uh, back when Spike was playing with us in that game. Uh, when you guys were were talking to Hephaestus and like sealing the deal as to like how you're going to quest with him, his character said, "We will make them feel the wrath of the scorned," because he he picked it up, <laughs> right? And I thought, well, that's the giveaway. Everyone knows now. <laughs> but I guess not. Yeah, I, 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 you know, and I may have put that together back then. This game has also been going for almost two years. True. Like I dropped the really post true. about it. Uh, we started yeah. playing in November of 2021, and it is currently the beginning of September 2023. So, um, you know, there and I am, as we have established, very bad at taking notes. So there are definitely things that you know, threads that I didn't pick up on. But it was, it was a really good reveal, I think, because I because I had forgotten or hadn't picked it up. So it was there to be discovered in the moment and i really liked it and i really liked that our immediate reaction was not to go in guns blazing so to speak it was to go in with compassion and with the belief that hey you know there's something wrong how do we help fix this and then slowly realize just how bad it actually was and be like step away from the bomb guy (laughs) take a deep breath take a step back we can talk through this yeah, this was not a mu- mustache-twirling villain at the end. Um, this was a person driven by by pain. And I think God, that, that so pain, pain is a good motivator, right? For, for people to do extreme things, be they distasteful or heroic. Mm-hmm. You know, they can they can push us to those actions that, under normal circumstances, we wouldn't dream of because, you know, we live in a society. <laughs> <laughs> we live in a society. Bottom text. <laughs> Bottom text. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, as soon as I say, I'm like, even before I said it, this is stupid, but it's like, you know, it kind of fits. I mean, stereotypes and, and cliches become that way because they're useful and occasionally funny. Yes, indeed. So... I also had a title screen because this was all in Roll20, and the the title screen had a reference to a painting that was made. I I don't remember the artist's name, but it's like an old painting that depicts um, Ares and Aphrodite holding each other uh, with Ares staring straight into the the viewer, and there's a golden net cast over them, and I had cut out... Uh, as much of it to see who was casting the net. Um, and But off that shot would be Hephaestus sitting there holding mm. the net, being disappointed that, yes, he caught them, but this isn't solving his problem. Uh, it's making it worse. And, uh, you know, so it was really fun for me to, to, to provide that little, that monologue, that exposition. And 
kudos to you guys for not interrupting the monologue. Andrew knows how much that means to me. <laughs> um, well, it's, it, I think it's really important that if you recognize that this is the BBEG doing their monologue, you take a step back and let the DM say goodbye to this character that they have loved for all this time. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we said goodbye and closed the, the book on our 20th level characters, but you were also saying goodbye to a truly excellent, I'm not even going to say villain, a truly excellent antagonist. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, by the way, because I, you know, I did feel like personally connected to him in a way. You know, of course, I, I my life has never been hit that hard by that exact kind of thing. But I think we've all felt betrayal and frustration and feeling like we are on the outs and everybody else is whispering behind our backs and, and, mm-hmm. and laughing at our feelings and. A lot of times, a lot of this is just happening in our own minds, <laughs> you know. Truly, um, because most of the time, people are too wrapped up in their own stuff to care about yours. That's most really of the time, true. <laughs> most of the time, people are so oblivious and so self-focused that you you could run naked down the street and they would just glance up and go, "Huh, that was weird," and go back to their day. <laughs> like anyway, <laughs> Baldur's Gate three is at home, so I literally don't care about anything. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, and I was really proud of you guys because it it wasn't just like, let's kill him. And he was totally statted up. He was ready to go. I had all of his moves. He even, his mythic action was called Wrath of the Scorned. <laughs> ah! <laughs> and I had a variation of the map you guys were playing on where everything was like burned and destroyed. Uh, literally like scorched earth. Yeah, I'm I'm genuinely super satisfied with how that came out because it really, for me, underlined what a lot of the themes of the game overall was, where it's like, violence is necessary sometimes, whether it is uh, to, to protect someone, protect yourself, or to remove a great evil, but it doesn't need to be the first option. I say to myself when whenever I have whenever I deal with the situation, my first instinct is to square up. <laughs> and I, I felt that with with Hephaestus, um, your everyone's first in- instinct would probably be to try to work it out. Yeah, particularly uh, Prestakis's character, um, who had, I think, the most of a personal relationship with him, and. Uh, at first, the negotiation was not going well. It was about to not work. And I thought, oh my gosh, God goodness, I'm going to start attacking. And we're going to roll initiative. And here we go. And then I just thought, well, let's give everyone a shot <laughs> to talk to him. <laughs> I appreciate that because uh, we all did come in and start coming from our various angles. And yeah, I, I'm really happy with it. It was a really satisfying way to end that campaign because we had just come from killing Ares and Tiamat and taken a rest and caught our breath. And then we're like, no, there's still one problem left. Yeah. And it not being another fight, I think, made it land so much more, at least for me. Yeah. It, you know, if you're if you're paying attention to the room, right, to the mood, you know, you can be like, yeah, this is not what the moment calls for. And ultimately, um, I think we all kind of 
jumped on the same wavelength. And when a, when a group can do that, where we're almost just in the moment writing the script together, mm-hmm. you know, we're not writing five scripts and then arguing about which one gets in, you know, where we're all collaborating without having to say, let's collaborate. Uh, no, let's hear everybody's ideas. They just say what they're going to say. We roll some dice. I think the only checks made all night were persuasion. Yeah. And, you know, just to see if you could get a foothold, if you could get a little further, or if you could outright, you know, just break his will, you know? Mm. And after he he did the monologue, I appreciated that people had listened because then people were using the things in the monologue to address the greater problem. And in the story, for the listeners, um, Hephaestus, according to the myth, is only created by Hera. And the reason that she creates him is because she's mad at Zeus. (laughs) It's not a great way to start the life of a child. It's such a spiteful, horrible reason to do things. Just like, ah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm actually really glad that we didn't deal with Zeus until the second to last session. And we never actually dealt with Hera because uh, by the time we got there, she had been beaten to a bloody pulp. Yes. Um, although it was it was established that she would be uh, taken care of and safe by the time it was all done. Um, yeah. So almost all the gods live. I think the only one that bit it was was actually Ares. Couldn't have happened to a nicer god. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that was like, there was nothing more satisfying than when, than when I dropped that arrow of god killing into him. Talk about setup and payoff. That had been set up sessions and sessions beforehand. And then I got the boon of, yeah, you can just add 20 to your shot. Yes. And I was like, oh, no, I know who this is for. This isn't Tiamat. <laughs> She's not personal. Ares is personal. Yeah. And he, he I will admit, he was a bit of a mustache twirler uh, in a way. Like, he just wanted the violence. He just wanted the the battle, the blood rush of it all. Well, and those are really fun characters to play sometimes. Sometimes, like, that can't yeah. be that, that can't be the only string to your bow, but, oh, man, is it a fun string to play because you can just lean into the ham. Well, after meeting your ranger, I don't think he's going to want to even hear the word string for a while. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I did get my bow back. Yes, eventually. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Hephaestus kept the best gear for himself. You know, it makes sense. And it was it was a very well-made bow and a beautiful luck blade. I do understand. (laughs) And Zeph did eventually claim it before going off to live a quiet, happy life with Sciorus. Yes. Yes. Um, I, uh, to, to finish the thought from earlier, um, Hephaestus, you know, had been made without, without love. And so in the myth, Hera looks at him and she goes, oh, he's ugly. And she throws him off a cliff and then he's like raised by mermaids or something. And, uh, he somehow learns to Smith. I don't remember all the details about that. Uh, it's not important. Uh, when he comes back to Olympus, he has made a beautiful chair for his mother, and she sits down in it. She's like, wow, this is a nice chair. Good job, son. But I'm still not a huge fan. <laughs> and then she tries to get out of the chair, and she can't. And he's like, ha my chair, it uh, won't let you go. 
because I'm mad at you. Everyone has a good chuckle about that. And, there, and there's a few people that come by and they say, hey, Hef, you know, you got to let, let her go now. And he's like, I feel like I don't. I feel like I don't need to do that. And then Zeus walks up. And of course, his solution to everything is sexual. And so yeah, he, that he, tracks. <laughs> he just walks up and goes, if you let her go, you can have Aphrodite as your wife. And Aphrodite, of course, gets no say in this. Right, that was the point that didn't get brought up last night that I was uh, that I did have in the back of my mind of it's like yeah, you didn't have any choice in how in how you were made. She also had no choice in this. Yeah, she didn't. Um because even even if you were a god or a goddess in this case, you were still subject to the patriarchy, I guess. <laughs> I mean, Greek mythology, man. I mean, it's it's yeah. patriarchy all the way down. Yeah, I mean, it is it is what it is. But um, she's not thrilled about the marriage. Hef, of course, is pretty excited. He takes the deal. He's like, I would love to be with the most beautiful woman on earth. Who wouldn't? And then, well, I mean, she's not going to take it lying down, you might say. <laughs> she just... Oh, buddy. <laughs> she, <laughs> Phrasing. She starts to have um, relations with uh, Ares more often. Uh, behind Hephaestus's back while also not trying that hard to hide it. And the problem that I, that I have and where I think the myth does a good job of like letting us fill in gaps ourselves is it really paints Aphrodite as like, first of all, helpless, but then toxic, mm -hmm. you know? And I, and you know, that's not very interesting. And it's like, why does she even like Aries? It's like, maybe she doesn't. Maybe it's not about that. It's about having power, right? Or having a choice. Having a choice. Like, at least I can pick this. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is my form of rebellion against the powers that be over me. So, anyway, Hephaestus finds out. He creates a golden net. He traps them in the net. Um, he calls all the other gods to come see. Of course, this is not a great solution to his problems, because now everybody knows. Yeah, he had just called everyone to be witness to the fact that he had been cuckolded. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, not not a great plan. I mean, in fairness, the, the forge does not require a great deal of complicated aforethought. <laughs> I guess not. You know? <laughs> you know, people were not his forte, let's say. Um, uh, anyway, I decided to, to alter it a little bit, where it's like, it's not that... Aphrodite finds him so incredibly hideous, but it's that because he's made without love, yeah. he doesn't possess any love within him. Like he's birthed from Hera alone. So without the love making process. And then on top of that, it's, it's actually the antithesis because she's doing it out of spite. Mm -hmm. And so he's literally made out of spite. And so if, if you are a, a god that represents love. I mean, that's going to be exactly opposite to everything that you are. Ex exactly. So, feeling trapped and unable to do this, Aphrodite chooses to seek out the fates. And this is where we get into full on D and D territory, and me making stuff up. Well, yeah, that is absolutely your right <laughs> and indeed responsibility. And indeed responsibility. Yes. Um, yeah. So. We're then skip two years of D&D &D content <laughs> and uh, 
They they get rid of fake Aphrodite. They've brought back real Aphrodite. She feels bad about what she's done. Um, she's learned a lot. She's grown a lot. Yeah, she wouldn't grew up. She wouldn't Good grew up. Um, she had a, a, a nice, long, beautiful relationship with Bahamut, the god of good dragons. And, uh, you know, came back with some experience. And But, you know, at the climax of our game, history repeats itself. And Hephaestus manages to trap Aphrodite in the throne as well as Hera in two different thrones. And after the whole talk, when you guys are confronting him... You realize that, you know, it, you guys are listening and it's like the missing piece is, is this fact that he doesn't have love in him. And one of our players had gained Ares' uh, divine spark after killing him. And maybe I made it a little too obvious, but eh. basically said, you can use this to repair, for lack of a better word, Hephaestus's problem, his central problem, which is he doesn't have love. And so you guys all, I mean, it was beautiful. I mean, you guys were all like wrapped around him and like everyone had moved their little like tokens to surround him and they were all like hugging and crying together and it was just beautiful. And he put that in, and uh, Leroy's character put that divine spark into Hephaestus to let him know what it felt like. And I was just like, I was blown away. I was just absolutely blown away. I'm really glad because I'm I, I'm very happy with how things worked out with how it all ended and yeah uh, looking forward to what comes next. Yeah, that's the really exciting part because it's like, well, now what? Right now we <laughs> now the sky's the limit. We're starting from from nothing again and and seeing what might be interesting to explore next and. But with the advantage of, because uh, I think one of the the things that we haven't really talked much, about, this group is uniquely good together mm-hmm. in in a way that I didn't fully expect. Because I mean, you're always kind of doing a, a crapshoot when you gather people because you know they're they're patrons of of a podcast. That's it's always kind of a risk a little bit, and the way that the four of us came together like that was just. I love it. I love playing with this group. It is so good. Yeah, which is not to say that other people everything. can't join or shouldn't join. I think it's. I think it will uh, be good <laughs> to have more and new people. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this group is uniquely good in a way that I really love. Yeah, um, absolutely, and and just getting the right players and GM you know, as a player with them in a way where everyone is like in agreement about the, the dynamic and what the sort of unsaid and explicit social rules are. I mean, you can almost do anything at that point. Like you, like if you've, if you get to that point, you, you've done like 90% of the work in making your table function. Yeah, and especially with the deep level of trust between all of us where we could just, without discussing, just drop into that collaboration and fall into the same wavelength almost immediately. I don't think there was even a murmur of, well, maybe we try something else. All of us were right there with Hephaestus trying to talk him down, trying to get him to see reason and listen to us. And it was really good. 
Yeah, I the, when I say I was blown away, I was just like, wow, this is like D&D Nirvana, right? And not even <laughs> like sitting here going, wow, I'm so brilliant. I'm so good at this, uh, even though I am. But like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> but more importantly, it was like, yeah, they get it and they get it together and they get it with me at the same time. And like, it's just, it's like Nirvana. It's beautiful. And, you know, everybody was in tears. I was in tears. Um, you know, a good finale, man. That's, that's what it's all about. And it's so hard to get there Mm -hmm. because this game can take a long time and life can happen within that time. And there were certainly many weeks where we didn't play, um, because something was coming up in somebody's life. And yeah. so we had to take a week off, a couple weeks off, you know, whatever. But we kept coming back. And it was something that was really important to everyone. Like no one was blowing it off because, you know, they had better things to do. They blew it off because they had work or there or something was wrong or, um, you know, it was it was their last night back at their family home and they needed to be there. So they're. It, it, it was never a question of this is not important to me. It was always a question of I have to deal with life, but I'd rather be here. Yeah, it was always like, I can't be here this week. I have a thing. Sad face, sad face, sad face. And then uh-huh. other people reacting to it going sad face, sad face, sad face. <laughs> you know, because they, they don't want to not have each other there. And, you know, it's and because our group was smaller, it was like. Okay, if we're missing two, we, we we can't do it, pretty much. Yeah. If we're missing one, it already feels pretty bad, you know. I expect that the next game will have five or six players. Uh, we have one person that uh, increased their pledge to the Muse tier, Red Dead Coquette. Yay! Uh, yes! So thank you to Red Dead for, for joining us. It's been a long time coming and waiting to to get in a game together where where I get to be your GM. So I'm very excited for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. And I know that uh, she already works incredibly well with you. And so I think that it's going to be a natural fit into into this group. I need to get you playing with Jen from the other group, too, because you guys would love each other to death i know it oh my gosh i am i am all over this if you ever have like the time and the brain power to set up a one shot uh yeah. <laughs> i would be i would i would love to do that but if i mean nothing also, else we all no need pressure. to get on and play some bg3 or something but yeah no i'd like to do a one shot sometime maybe that would be a nice little appetizer in between you know just okay let's do like a quick one shot and then then maybe we start the next campaign that would be um, fun I thought it was a really big positive that we did the Dragon Age quick campaign before Wrath of the Scorn started. Yeah, and that, although I'm sure you regret that at least a little bit because that was the first time I played a ranger and went, oh no, this is good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been saying it. I've been saying like this, this is very strong. You'd, you've been saying it. Alondra had been saying it. <laughs> a lot of people who I trust in my life were saying it. And I was like, I don't see it. And then I tried it and went, I'm, I have been blind. You have shown me the light that will never replace Cleric as my main, but it is a very good class. Well, it is hard to, com- you know, compare to a class that literally does everything and uses <laughs> wisdom as its main stat. I mean, 
That's pretty strong. I mean, it almost yeah. it almost saves monks too, almost. But like, if you can get to a decently high level as a monk, it's very strong as well. You just have to get there. You know? It's- yeah, I, I've I've played monks a few times, and every time I have a lot of fun being the glass cannon and just being kind of reckless and silly with it, which mm-hmm. is I think I think kind of the attitude that you have to have with it. Because if you take it too seriously, you're gonna be in trouble. Yeah, it's all going well until you get hit once, and then all of a sudden, it's alarm bells. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the easiest fix, like, if anyone wants to just quick fix monks, it's just give it give it a few key points up front. Just say, okay, you have a, a number of key points equal to three plus your level, and I think if you just do that, you know, you're that probably would go a long fine. way. You're probably fine. So, because at a certain point, you have so many, you don't need them. <laughs> you know? Right. It's it's kind of like sorcery points when you get a high enough level sorcerer. Like the only time that I've ever, uh, with my high level sorcerer, uh, the only time that I ever felt like seriously threatened with points was when I twinned heal on on people, and that did put a dent in my in my points. But that was the first time that I really felt kind of threatened. <laughs> well, that's and that's really how big was that group, by the way? Was that a six player group or? Uh, Rachel, Tanya, Jenna, Mark, and me. So I guess I, there were five players. Five players, yeah. I think with four players, you might have felt a little more pressure. Probably. Um, but anyway, five players is like very comfortable. To me, that's like almost the perfect number. Yeah, I, I like keeping my tables between four to five personally, partially because otherwise they don't all fit around the table. <laughs> and partially because uh, if it gets much bigger than that, in my opinion, you, you don't have a lot of room to put the spotlight on different people with and give them uh, good character moments that are longer without everyone else feeling kind of bored and just waiting for their turn. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that, that takes a little bit of doing and know-how and even some harshness to get it moving. Uh, with my student group, I've been a little more harsh. I've made it clear that I'm not going to wait for you. And so I basically count to 10 in my head. And if you don't know read what you're doing... Read your spells. Read your spells. Like, when it's not your turn, that's your turn. That's your time to prepare. But, you know, they're gonna. that's going to feel better if they feel like it's coming up, right? Yeah. And so it's like, you have nothing to do. I'm moving on. Very sorry, but we're moving on. Yeah, I, I did something like that in the lower stakes kind of way where I had a one minute timer that I would turn over at the top of each person's turn. Yeah, I think one minute's extremely generous. Like if you were to sit there literally for one minute, unless you mean like, okay, you have one minute from go to turn done then i guess that makes a lot more sense yeah that's that's basically what it was and if someone was taking a little bit more time with flavor i was fine with that because they were clearly working up to something but if they went into like two to three minutes it would be like okay wrap it up it's the next person's <laughs> turn right you, you know what i should do for that i should get like uh the music that they play in, in the at the oscars <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, you absolutely should. Although I wonder, I, I wonder if anyone at your tables would get that reference. <laughs> they might, they might go, oh, I want to get this song. I'm going to keep going till I get it. <laughs> <laughs> might backfire. Um, speaking of tables, 
Um, You're and, welcome. I was handing you that one. Right. Yeah. No, that was a good pass. That was a really good pass. Um, I had a friend come over today who does a lot of like carpentry and housework. Like, and by housework, I mean like building stuff, like building decks or whatever. I am not a Ron Swanson as much as I would like to be. Um, that's just not me. I'm clueless when it comes to um, going to Home Depot. My wife is the one that knows everything, which confuses the workers if we go together. Um, yes, smash the patriarchy. <laughs> I, I'm sitting there with my beard and belly and, you know, she's walking along and they all, they always ignore her and talk to me. And then I look at her and then they, they do like a spit take. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Hey, I love my life. Uh, I love my wife. I love our <laughs> dynamic. It's great. But anyway, I had, so, so I went outside and I, and I said, Hey buddy, I know you do this stuff. His wife's always posting on Instagram about like, Oh, he built this. He built that. And so I thought, well, I want to get a really fancy gaming table, but I don't want to spend like $3,000. Right. And because some of these are just incredible. I mean, you can spend upwards of five to 6000 if you really want all the bells and whistles. And if you want it made out of like walnut or something. Easily. You, know, you, can, you can really spend. And because uh, it was a friend of mine and it was something that wasn't necessarily his forte. And he was like, I'm going to be doing some experimentation here. He's offered to do it uh, for just the coverage of materials. Oh, um, wow. That's which really is, sweet. Which is pretty great. It also might mean this is going to take months and months to do. But I really want something that's special. Something that's really custom and isn't going to make uh, my wife hate me for spending all of our money. Happy wife, happy life. Yes, as they say, and it is true. <laughs> and so, um, been thinking a lot about like, what are the dimensions? What do I want this to be? And like, how many people need to sit here? And how high up or or down does it need to be? Um, we need. We're we're looking at like, essentially like a certain amount of desk space for each player. Uh, while also having a re, uh, like a three inch recess at the center of the table um, that will then have like a felt covering like a like a pool table would. And then we put like AJ's battle maps on that. Yes. And, and put all of our pieces there because this, this is for physical gaming, obviously. And not just for D&D, but for, you know, even Catan or monopoly or even apples to apples you know when my parents come over um, don't play monopoly that's the quickest way to lose friends right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right so anyway i i wanted to ask you what are some of your uh, physical gaming likes and dislikes wishes uh pet peeves um rules if you have them uh, that sort of thing. I, I have a few in mind for myself, but, you know, you've at least got a couple of years now of playing behind a table. Um, you're also part of running games on a stream. And so that has different dynamics that go into that. So what do you think? What are some of the do's and don'ts of physical play space? 
So I think one of the big ones for me is th- that there does need to be a certain, you're right, there does need to be a certain amount of desk space for each uh, person. I am the, the very image of the, the drink goblin. I always or very frequently have two to three drinks in front of me. Yes. So, you know, I need room for that. I need room for my tablet. I need room for my dice and my dice box. If there's a book that I want to reference, I have that close by. And that all adds up really quickly. Um, at the Q&C table... Our, my side of the table where I tend to sit uh, was was very comfortable with two people and is a little bit more squished when we have three on that side, mm-hmm. even though we're all fairly small people. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely have to be a little bit more careful about elbows and everything. Um, so definitely having enough desk space for each person while leaving a good open space in the front, uh, in the center of the table to actually like set up maps and things. One of the unique problems about live streaming is that none of you you have to be you have to be very conscious about the maps and where you place them we have two map cameras uh one of them is top down and one is or and one of them is kind of at an angle oh sorry they're both at angles but from different directions we used to have a top down that got changed um and you have to be very careful to have the maps fit within what the map camera can do and a uniquely interesting problem is that that means you can't build up very high right and that got tricky a couple of times there's been some stuff where it's like oh man i want to do this wizard's tower and this that and the other there was one time that spike uh ran a one shot for us where we fought uh tiamat or an aspect of tiamat that was with um the D versions of our call of cthulhu characters so i had alexandria hartford and he had to strike some of the stuff that he wanted to do because the floating islands were just too tall to fit within the scope of what the cameras could do. And you're performing for an audience. It's a game, but you're performing for an audience. Yeah, absolutely. So you always have to be conscious to make sure that people can see what's going on. So that's a that's a unique streaming problem specifically. Yeah, and I am thinking about possibly streaming this, um, possibly streaming the next patron game if that's something that people want to do. Ooh, interesting. You know, because I, you know, coming off of the last game and going, nobody's going to know about this except us, uh, kind of bummed me out a little bit. Like, I kind of wish people could see it, but. No, I, I, I get that. There is a, a joy in being able to make things where it's like, you know, it only lives on in the stories that are told, but. There's also incredible value in having it documented. Like, it's been really interesting watching, I mean, I'll just use myself as an example. I've been streaming for five years this month and watching my development as a player and my development as a GM, because the very first time that I ever GM'd was on the channel. Um, And watching my development as both player and GM over those five years, it's a fun record to have, and I'm glad I have it. Absolutely. So um, there's a there's the camera option for us. It's going to be the ceiling fan, right? That's going to get in the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I am thinking about setting up a camera, but I don't think I'm going to do it straight down. I think I'm going to do it at an angle. I might put it on like a tripod or something, and maybe have one or two set up for different angles. Um, I'll definitely pick your brain for for that kind of thing because you'll have more experience than me, but. 
Oh, yeah, I'm more than happy to, to share what I've learned. And uh, I can also, you know, text Thomas and ask him about his opinion about things. He will always have the snob answer. He doesn't like webcams, but he does have <laughs> decades of, of uh, experience in the video production world. Well, we've been talking about having him, so um, I think that would be good. Maybe a good topic. Anyway, um, one challenge that I often have when it comes to physical play space is where do I put the GM screen? Because mm. traditionally, the the screen goes up in front of you, but then I have to go over the screen to do stuff, right? So I'm always like sitting up, standing or sit, I'm sitting down, then I'm standing up, then I'm sitting down and standing up, and I'm doing the stance. And then I have a belly, right? Sure. And so now I'm leaning over stuff. You know, maybe my shirt's coming up a little bit. Um, you know, it's awkward. I got those, like, sticks that push minis around. I just had the word for that in my head, too, and I can't remember it now. So the, the company I bought them from, they call them Warstaves. I think that's, that's a very... excellent. Very dramatic name for stick with a push thing. Um, but still, uh, it, it's like in the movies when you're watching people stand around a war table and discussing what their strategies are going to be and they're moving the pieces around. So I got a couple of those and that's helpful, but it doesn't always move things perfectly. Um, and sometimes it can cause the piece to rotate in a way you don't want. Maybe I just need to get good at it. Maybe this is a skill issue. <laughs> well, and and another thing, like I have, I am not shy about asking my players, "Hey, I can't reach that. Can you move the? Can you move the the, the figure over here, for example?" Yeah, absolutely. Um, that is one of the advantages. So when I'm jamming for a home game, I never sit down. I'm always standing up because then I because I have too much energy and adrenaline to like sit still. Um, if you watch me on live streams, you can see I'm always like swaying and moving around. That's because I want to be standing and I can't. Um, but even with the, the live streaming, I'm sitting in a very tall chair. Uh, I'll take a picture the next time that I'm in the studio, but the, the GM chair is very tall. It's more like a bar chair than a, than a normal sitting chair. And I, and I can use that. To yeah. Reach. I think that's probably a good idea. Yeah. That, you know, and then it also like has everyone looking at you, right, in a way that is helpful. It does put you uh, up on a, 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 a higher level. <laughs> yeah, yes, a literal pedestal, which okay. was incredibly terrifying the first time it happened. Then let me ask you this. Um, would you prefer a table that was for six people or eight people? Because, like, we, we, we know what the, the ideal, like, D&D party size is. But like if you were to get something like this and you knew that it would be for more things, what where where's your head? I would definitely go for eight people, to be honest, yeah. because then if you have the more comfortable size of party, which is between four to five players, they have tons of room. That's and you a can good have, point. you know, a bag of snacks sitting next to someone without feeling like you're taking up too much real estate. Yeah, player unofficial player six is just a pile of Dorito bags. <laughs> I mean, you joke, but but when I was in a bi-weekly <laughs> game at, at Spikes, uh, one of the players would always bring uh, bags of candy and they would be piled next to him and he'd pass them around the table for everyone to enjoy. He was he was uh, very good at that. Everybody's favorite player, right? <laughs> Pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> that's, a, that's that strength stat doing its work. Oh, seriously. And I appreciate it because I had to drive back to Berkeley from Santa Cruz and it's a bit of a haul. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a haul and people will be driving fast or there's traffic jams. 
Um, it me. So I'm not, the one who's driving fine. fast. <laughs> You're like, I'm the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I am the one that knocks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I would prefer to have a bigger table because then you feel like you don't feel like you're you're constrained by the table when you want to add someone who's, you know, who's visiting and wants to come play an NPC or, you know, you have the, the, the family game nights where it's you and your family and your in-laws or your parents and you can just like all be there and enjoy the space without, you know, causing more strife between children because they are literally on top of each other. Agreed. And um, then as far as like table height goes, I think kind of a medium height is the best where, you know, if you were to stand up next to it, it'd be basically at your waist. I think like a high top for like a restaurant, I I don't know if that would be practical uh, because you would be like, Again, you have to worry about like ceiling space and then you'd have to, you know, get up and get down and get up and get down and you'd be like literally hopping off your chair. I'll be honest, I don't even like a tall, I, I don't even like a, a high top at a restaurant. I just, it's just not my jam. I, I don't mind them, but I'm also very much an up cat. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you like your perch. I, I do. I do. And you would never guess that I'm afraid of heights with how often I climb on things. <laughs> well, you just have a limit, right? Just a height limit. Yeah, when when it gets high enough that I look down and go, I would break my neck if I fell from here. Yeah. As uh, as far as table height goes, for me at least, and I'm 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 five foot three and a half. Full disclosure, uh, uh, I like tables to be right at about the top of my hip when I'm standing up. Yeah. Um, not so high that you know it's the high top problem. I agree. I like high tops at restaurants. I do not like them at gaming tables because if I feel like mm-hmm. I have to kneel on the table in order to move things, I'm uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, nobody wants that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but if it's at about the point of my hip when I'm standing, I can stand up and move things around. I can also reach to a certain extent and not feel awkward or uncomfortable. So let me ask this. Uh, would you prefer a square or a rectangle or something round? So I am most accustomed to playing at square tables with an asterisk next to the word square. Uh, and I Okay. <laughs> and I say that because I don't know. Have you ever seen a picture of the critical role table? I don't think I have. Uh, I've seen the like show, but like. I haven't had like a top down view of the table. There's a really good image of like the setup taken from behind Matt's shoulder looking down at at all of it. And it's a really interesting setup. But basically they have uh, a square table where one of the corners has been cut off. And that cut off corner is where the GM sits. Hmm. So that way um, players are on like two sides of the table because that's how it works for streaming and stuff. But you can have them at three sides of the table with that corner cut off and have that space to put your GM screen and hide what you're doing. Um, Well, to an extent and still have three sides of the table available for people to sit at. Yeah, I've been getting, I've been experimenting with having a screen or not having a screen or going with like a short screen because those, those do exist as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are times I'm in the mood for one or the other. Maybe it depends on the campaign, but I did find myself ditching it this last time I played at a physical table where I was like, I'm not going to fudge rolls. They're just going to see the rolls. It's fine. And, 
I had like monster cards, but they were just kind of off to the side. So if people really wanted to see them, they could, but they didn't need to. I was handing uh, dry erase cards to everyone to track their own initiative. And then we would just place the cards in order. And uh, that was pretty cool. And it just gave me a lot more room to be able to like just access the board and move things around. But one negative of it was that I was basically in full control of the board. Sure. So the players were often like either reaching over me or were like telling me where they wanted to go, which isn't horrible. But, you know, I could see some players going like, I really don't want anyone to touch my piece. Right. <laughs> like I could see that. Well, and also, I mean, you already have so many things that you're doing as the GM. Having to then also move the the player mini is just like that one more thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. It makes me wonder, like, should I, like, like label the grid, you know, and tell people, like, move to G4 or whatever, you know, like you would in chess? That would probably take a little bit of getting used to, but I could see that being very useful once people are, are in the habit of it. Because at first it'll be, like, you know looking at it and then look and then doing the, the triangulation. But I think people can get used to that pretty quickly. So what we're imagining right now, I have this this new loft area in my new house. And so we're imagining about a foot of desk space for each player. Oh, beautiful. And then, right, yeah, it's pretty generous. Most of the, like, the pro tables you see out there, they're like maybe six or seven inches that you get. And then, and then we're going to do like a three-inch recess at the center and then we'll either do like a drawer in front of each player or like have a maybe just like a hole, like a kind of a cubby area, if you sure, will. Sure, I've seen those and those are really cool. Yeah, I think it's really nice to be able to just like put whatever, you know, it could be your dice, could be tokens, could be um, minis, could be your keys, like you could, <laughs> your snacks, you know. Whatever, right? You can put whatever you want there. But, uh, and then, like, of course, there's going to be cup holders. That's like a necessary. <laughs> there's going to be cup holders. And yeah, we're looking at, at like a medium height. So it's going to be a pretty big table. I'm just wondering whether or not I want to do rectangular or square at this point because square is very like togethery, right? It's very intimate, you might say, in a way that a rectangle isn't. But the rectangle also provides a certain level of like table hierarchy, if you will, where it's like the GM has a place of honor, which makes sense, not because they're better, but because they're leading. Then, of course, like most battle maps and mats are rectangular as well. There are some square ones, but most of them are rectangles. Most importantly, the ones I get from AJ Pickett are rectangles. Very important. Those are the ones I'm going to be using. Yes, I also backed that Kickstarter. Yes, yes. Um, and they are excellent. They're really excellent. So um, I, while I like the idea of the cutoff edge for streaming, I think first and foremost, it is like a living game table, not for streaming first and foremost. Absolutely. And I mean, um, what you are using it for, really, the purpose determines the shape of it. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, and then whichever way we go, we'll do the thing where we have like some panels that you put over the top of the play space. So then you just have a table 
And so you can like eat or whatever. It's like, okay, we can put the pizza on this, but let's not put it on the felt, right? <laughs> yeah, you want it to be a little bit more versatile. What would you rather have? Would you, you know, with extra space on the wood before you get to the recess, would you like more like designs, like a Celtic knot or something? Or would you like maybe a slight dip in the wood that kind of feels like a tray? Designs are nice. I'm also the kind of person who will get distracted just like running my finger over and over the the design um, because it's a very tactile thing for me to do specifically. I also recognize that I am neurospicy, so that uh, informs that a little bit. <laughs> neurospicy. <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> it's it's become. But one I kind of get more, it. <laughs> it's become one of the more interesting ways of referring to people who have various neurodivergencies. Right, which seems to be more and more people all the time. Uh, the the world we live in gestures vaguely. <laughs> gestures vaguely. Yeah, I, I mean, for for me, I I'm not sure what I would do with like a, the indent with a, like a tray or something. I'd be afraid of putting something like a drink right on the edge of it and it falling over by accident. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would rather have like a flat table with a design on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, would you want a padded area on the edge of the table where essentially your elbows go, even if it were to cut into your ability to lay a character sheet flat in front of you? For me, not particularly. The 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 area that I would want more consideration is around the table legs, because one of the huge downsides of the tables that I tend to play at is that the legs are not well placed for multiple people. And so Mm. someone is hitting their knee on something. (laughs) True. (laughs) Maybe we put the pads under the table. I don't know. Or or around the chair uh, or around the table legs or something. I don't know. Yeah, something. Um. Do you care about LEDs? Would that make any difference to you whatsoever? Depends on how they're used. What, what what sort of use would they be used for? So I guess mainly to look cool. I guess the other thing, <laughs> like I just I see them in the in the ads for like the super fancy expensive tables that are out there, and I go like, do I? What do I really need that for? I could see it creating mood lighting, like if you were to control the color, it's like you're in the shadow fill, so you do like kind of a dark purple, you know, and then I mean, I don't think I'm going to go as far as like a fog machine, right? But right. like, you know, I could go that far. It's like, okay, you're in the, the you know, miracles den of poison death or whatever. It's everything's green. Something like that. I'd honestly be more inclined to have the light bulbs be LED so that you can control the color and the dimness of the room. Right, more than just the table itself. Yeah. Yeah, so the idea would be that it would go on the wall in the recess and at the center. So it would kind of surround the table play area. So that hopefully that way it's also not shining directly in anyone's eyes. If I were to do it, I might not even care. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It could be just a matter of, do I need to do something higher? You know, the, if I really want to create mood like that, but at a certain point, one thing I have noticed both with online play as well as physical play is there is such a thing as too many toys. 
where I can get bogged down by the amount of stuff I'm thinking about. And it can be, like, mentally exhausting. Yeah, that is always very much a danger. Um, Even controlling music from behind the GM screen while streaming is sometimes just that one thing that I can't think about because it's another thing to think about. You know, we didn't put that as one of our player jobs, but I think the next time I have a in-real-life bard, they're going to be in charge of the soundtrack of the game. Mm. (laughs) Just... just that's like, just because you give me some moody. Just because you were fighting Sirenscape the whole time. I know Sirenscape is so cool in so many ways, but it like is so slow, and and there are times it just doesn't mm-hmm. work. And frankly, a lot of the free stuff that's on there is like very synthy. Yeah, and then it's just like. Ugh. So I, I like a lot of the sound effects and the sort of ambient noises, but the a lot of the music is, is not for me. And so I often find myself uploading music to it, which is like the problem I had with Roll20 in the first yeah. place. You know, where I'm just like, uh, I just want to like connect to like an online platform like YouTube Music or Spotify and not have to like buy everything or whatever illegally download mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, the, the copyright free music problem is definitely one that I think a lot about because, you know, I, I run a podcast that I put a lot of music on. And sometimes, I mean, epidemic, I use Epidemic Sound. It's very good. There are definitely times where I'm like, I can't find that specific thing that I want. Yeah, and it's always nerve-wracking when you're, like, doing your GM prep and you've realized you've spent way too much time trying to find one picture or one song. You're like, I just blew an hour trying to find exactly the right portrait for the innkeeper. I'm an idiot. (laughs) Like, why am I doing this? Yeah, I I try to limit that when I'm working on scoring and, and sound effects and stuff where it's like, okay, you get 10 minutes. And then if you haven't found something, you need to ha- you need to use what you already have. Right. We're going back to Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> no. Back to Witcher, whatever it is. The old the old classics. <laughs> They're the classics for a reason. They, they, they have proved their metal repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. That for me in this game, it was Elden Ring. It was like when in doubt, I need Elden Ring to bail me out. So uh even though it can be a little synthy at times. Well, but it's synthy that you know and you like. And it's ambient enough that it's like, whatever. Um, yeah, uh, then like sound. Do you think there'd be any real benefit to having sound built into the table? Or just should I just put speakers around the room like a person? I, I think you should put speakers around the room like a person. <laughs> okay, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, just just what the height of everybody's head. That makes the most sense where it's going to blast in their ear holes pretty good. <laughs> yeah, just just mount like, you know, four to six speakers around that you can connect up to with your Bluetooth or whatever. Yeah, I think that's the right call. So anyway, lots to think about. It's exciting times. Most of the time we have to play with whatever we have, right? It's mom's kitchen table. It's, you know, the, the card table from the basement. It's the lunchroom. It's a classroom. You know, it's, it's you know, we, we just make do, right? And so we all have to, to a certain degree, 
you know, just be creative. And I guess that can be kind of the kind of the fun. But if uh, people have suggestions on what the perfect table would be, you know, we'd love to hear about it in Discord or something so that uh, I can steal your ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, how often do you get the chance to custom build a table to exactly what you want it to be? Like, that's just cool. Just got to know a guy. Who knows a guy? Who knows a guy? Who knows a gal? Hey, there we go. <laughs> See? I, I still go back sometimes when I'm not paying attention. Eh, we all do. We all fall into the idioms. Yeah, we do. We do. But thank you for helping me get off the straight and narrow sometimes. <laughs> uh, as, as I've heard other, other straight people say, always straight, never narrow. Yeah, well, that's a good way to put it. I think that's a really good way to put it. Well, I think that's all I've got for tonight. Um Baldur's Gate 3 isn't going to play itself. <laughs> on, on that note, uh, my computer part should be here in the next couple of days. Oh, good for you. Once you get all set up, we're going to, we'll, we'll play some we'll play. stuff. Well, I'll give you time. I'll give you time to do your first playthrough by yourself. <laughs> oh, how kind. I mean, you have to, you have to, man. The first time you have to do it by yourself. Yeah. I, you know, otherwise it's just like, uh, you're ruining everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am contemplating streaming my first run through just to, oh, just to have that there. Uh, I have been warned about the nudity thing. And I've also been warned about the opening cutscene that involves eyes, which is good because eyes are my uh, red on, on the lines and veils. Mm, okay. okay. So, you know. Uh, yeah, there's, there's some, there's some graphic stuff in this game for sure. I mean, and it's the sort of thing that if I know it's there, I can prepare myself and just kind of go for it. Sure. But like the only time that I've ever gotten close to using an X card in a game involved eyes. Really? Yeah, it okay. was, uh, it was pretty brutal. I won't ask why. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the story sometime offline because, uh, I have found that eyes are actually a fairly common trigger. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I guess that, that. That, that makes sense. It's a sensitive part. Well, um, any last words for the pupils out there listening? <laughs> At the end of the day, build the space that is comfortable for you and the people who are there to play. And if you aren't able to be as lucky as our friend Adam and build out a custom table, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be like that. You you can tell incredible stories around the coffee table in your living room or around a virtual tabletop like the two year game that we just finished. So um, at the end of the day, all of this stuff is fun, but it's not necessary for telling a good story necessarily. That's so true. That's so true. It's really about who's there and what kind of vibe you can create. But if we can have But both. if we can have the cool, <laughs> shiny stuff and the great story, yes. <laughs> everyone wins. Correct. Uh, Correct. But thank you all so much for joining us. And until next time, stay inspired. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspiration Point. If you'd like to support what we do, go and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash inspiration point. If you can't support us directly, that's okay. You can also help support us by telling people about the podcast. A little inspiration goes a long way. Inspiration Point is edited and produced by Tiana Hansen and is distributed by Quest and Chaos. If you like what you hear with us, give Quest and Chaos YouTube or Twitch channels a visit. 
They play Dungeons and Dragons on a weekly basis and have a bunch of campaigns of Call of Cthulhu, D&D, and board game playthroughs archived on their YouTube. Join us next week for more inspiration. 